City, City Limits. Limits. Brought to us by the People's Committee for Melbourne every Wednesday at 9am. City Limits is Melbourne's only hour devoted to our urban environment. To transport and planning and housing issues. To privatisations and our utility services. To building and or maintaining a sense of community. 855 on the AM band, if we can hear it through the noise and find it through the smog. City Limits. Oh, one and he moves his mic. Just as he realizes his mic is in the right spot. Um, anyway, now is, and uh, we are on. That City was Limits. Kevin, by the way. <laughs> yeah, it's the first Wednesday of the month, maybe start of the month or something. I don't know. Uh, it's Transport Day. That was John McPherson, by the way, um, who just uh, said it was Kevin, by the way. And we've got um, Meg Kimber in the studio with us as well. Meg, how are you? Hello, good to be good, here. Good, good. Lovely to have you back. Thank you. Um, and did you enjoy your work? I mean, the, the employers say at the end of the day, look, you're worth a lot more than we're going to pay you. Here's, here's, here's more money. <laughs> they gave me a lovely card. It was really sweet. They were very appreciative. So I felt, yeah. Very good. And Andy, yeah. Brits pressing the button. Andy, how are you? Hey, I'm well, thanks. Good, good. And we'll pour some tea. You're all having tea, are we? Except Andy, of course. He nah, is right. this the cup you brought in? That, that's, yeah. That's okay. Meg's cup, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and uh, today being Transport Day, John, we've got heaps to talk about. Uh, <laughs> last month, um, we did predict that they were on the verge of signing a new contract, even though it didn't wasn't due till December, yeah. uh, with the, um, the companies right. that run public transport. Mm. But within a week of the last program, they actually signed they up. They signed up, yep. Yeah, the usual suspects up. go round again. Um. Yep. So uh, that's on, but there's, there's heaps of stuff. There's also one thing we will talk about uh, when we get round to transport is um, Transdev, the bus company, which is on a pretty similar contract, to the other companies, and it runs. I think it runs something like a, more, a third or more. Third of the, it runs a third of the, of bus the system, buses yes, in Melbourne. Yes, yes. Uh, recently got sprung having all these uh, buses that were uh, needed to go in, and mm. they were banned because they were they were faulty. Um, mm. But but at the same time, they've put a proposal to the government for running a service up the uh, the <laughs> Doncaster freeway, which which of course was originally set aside as a rail reserve mm-hmm. long before it was a freeway. Yeah. Um, but And that proposal was knocked back by the government. Well, we'll talk about those things because the, the proposal seemed rather interesting. Actually. Well, it was to actually use that wide centre median on the eastern freeway for something like what it was designed for, which was um, a rail line, but you know, a busway would be... Yeah. Would be um, useful, and it was a buzz every three <coughs> minutes or something, wasn't it? Mm, mm, something like that. Mm, yeah, mm. yeah. So we'll get round <coughs> to that. No, no. We'll see why the, the government wouldn't explain. The treasurer wouldn't explain why he'd knocked it back. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, well, yeah. I think he spent all his pennies on um, on the deals from more roads and. Uh, that's yeah, something, so I'm going to have a sip of this tea. Hang on, Dick. I think that is often the often the issue. Talk about public transport, but build roads. That seems to be the yeah. Uh, well, that's been the go for years. It has. Yeah. Well, the RACB even make noises like we must have a balanced mm, system, and the balance means you build more roads. Because right. that the balance, you have to build that bit of road before you can do the next bit, and then <laughs> and then we'll work. Think of public the transport, cookie, and, and buses can the use cookie, the road. The cookie cutter right. method. Buses yeah, can yeah. use the road. <laughs> build a bit and then say, "Oh, we've got to build some more now." That bit got that bit got full. Oh dear! Now let's get away from from governments wasting money and talk about governments using it well. Like Julie Bishop going to the grand final, um, <laughs> just happened to be in Melbourne. It was a taxpayer funded one for the second year in a row. She's taxpayer funded, and while here, she also 
attended a couple of um, Liberal Party functions. She uh, went to an exclusive Liberal gathering at Century Old Vineyard, the Morning Star Estate, on Friday, uh, and the Liberal Ladies Forum at KPMG on Thursday. KPMG, of course, being one of the big accounting companies of the world, so it would have been worth going there. And, she um, assured us, Kevin, that it was all within the rules. Doesn't doesn't <laughs> apparently going to party functions isn't within the rules, but she must have had one event of some sort, mm. which, mm. which which she gets argued with within the rules. Foreign minister, that's right. Yeah. <clears throat> so that's that. But what I found interesting as well, because she's a West Coast Eagle supporter, mm-hmm. yes. and the report says that on seventeen occasions between two thousand and nine and two thousand and thirteen. Miss Bishop was in the same city when the Eagles played away from home, racking up twenty nine grand in taxpayer funded flights. Just a coincidence, Just I think. Just pure coincidence. Mm. That, yeah. Oh, you've been so hard on the poor woman. She's got to have a bit of fun in life. <laughs> <laughs> At her expense. <laughs> That's right. These bishops, the, the Bronwyn and now Julie, they seem to be. It goes with the title, apparently. Um, now. Uh, this bit is this is a this is a serious point. I'm so it's that I guess because she is wasting our money. But British explorer, well, I use our a bit loosely there, John. But you know what I mean. We watch it go past. Yeah, right. yeah, you know what I mean. Um, British explorers have found large chunks of polystyrene on remote ice floes in an area of the Arctic Ocean previously considered inaccessible. The researchers believe melting sea ice is allowing plastic to wash into the area as well as freeing previously frozen rubbish. They found two large pieces on the edge of ice floes in the middle, etc., etc. But it's just, again... It's concerning. <laughs> yep. Yeah. Uh, yes, well, there, there's, that, there's that great mass in it. What is it? The North Pacific Gyre or something or other? Plastic. Great swirl mm. of plastic in the North yeah. Pacific Ocean. Yeah. There was a Hundreds documentary cop- made... In the last year or so, wide. called plastic ocean, yeah. Think, isn't it? Yeah. But they're now they're now discovering that, that it's everywhere, that the whole the floor of the oceans everywhere is is very fine particles of um, plastic, and there's barely a fish fish on the planet that hasn't um, eaten plastic. Mm-hmm. So every time we eat fish, we're eating yeah. plastic. Uh-huh. Well, the Contiki yeah. ex- expedition. I mean, it, it it showed that in fact rubbish was going with them across the oceans. Mm, the, did the it? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, mm-hmm. it that. You know, it, right, it picked it up, right, yeah, right. going way back then. Apparently that tsunami in Japan has um, a huge amount of stuff across the Pacific after that, you know, got, after stuff got washed out to sea from the tsunami uh-huh. effect. Uh-huh. And it's crossed the Pacific and it's ending uh-huh. up on the west coast of the USA and yeah. Canada. Uh-huh. And a lot of that, well, they're now saying, oh, this is a new way that we can, we've now realised that species can cross oceans uh-huh. on bits of... Bits of um, you know stuff, bits of little, timber or bits of whatever, um. sort of canoes and kayaks, or sort of <laughs> an, an, animal canoes and kayaks. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 So it's so it's um, sort of explains maybe how some some species got to places that seemed, in, you know, incredible. Mm. How do they ever get there? Yeah. Now I do want to. This I find this in logical terms in an incredible article written by a woman called Sally Patton, who writes for the Fin Review. Right. On the financial services page, and she writes, and we know that the government is trying to um, trying to wrest Kelly O'Dwyer, the minister's trying to wrest the, uh, the the industry super funds away and give them to the yes. banks and the financial yes. and maybe them and this idea yes. about independent um, directors, and therefore, etc. It's yeah. all incredibly ideological. Yeah. That's right. When yeah. the industry ones, you know, make more for their members. 
because they don't take such fees, of course, as the banks, etc. But um, she, her article points out that, that Katie Gallagher, the the um, Labor spokeswoman for small business, etc., had urged the government to give it quote give up its ideological and anti-union attack on industry super funds and focus on policies that maximise superannuation balances for Australians, etc. Um, and uh, then she goes on to say that um, O'Connor, the, the, their opposition spokesman on industrial relations, um, right-winger that he is, um, he called a proposed law to force super funds to appoint more independent directors and attempt to destroy superior industry superannuation, which, if successful, will diminish the retirement savings of workers, etc., etc. Now, but then this woman, Sally Patton, goes on to say... Yeah. Uh, the government's bringing the bill in in three separate packages and they're all good and it's all very helpful, etc. And she's making the point that things have changed. I mean, superannuation was first brought in, things have changed, and you now need a lot more expertise to run these funds, etc. So you need <laughs> even, the bankers, you need the bankers. That's even right. though the ones that are doing well are being run by these fuddy-duddy unionists. Yeah, that's, <laughs> right. that's, see, that, that's beside the point. That's a red herring, John. Right, I'm sorry. <laughs> and red being the appropriate word, obviously. Absolutely. Um, but then she goes on to say, well, she says, further, furthermore, the financial services landscape is radically different from that which prevailed two years ago. Consumers, now this is the bit I find the logic incredible. Yeah. Consumers are furious at the string of scandals that have occurred in the financial planning and life insurance divisions of the major banks, but for the most part, the banks are getting out of their, in, their underperforming low-margin wealth management businesses. As a result, right. it will become increasingly difficult for Labor to insist that the government concentrate on fixing up the banking sector and leave industry super funds alone. Now, where's uh, the logic there? Where's the connection? The banks are misbehaving. They're terrible. But nonetheless, we should give the super money to them. <laughs> and then to credit to then say you therefore won't uh, won't also attack super funds shows a, a logic of some sort. Can you? Any thoughts, Meg? I think I'd have to read that article a few yeah. times before yeah. I understood. <laughs> <It's>, <laughs> One, yeah. The first part of the sentence didn't seem to hold any relevance to the second part of the sentence. <laughs> no, thank you. That's very well put. Yeah. <laughs> that's the bit that struck me when I read it. <laughs> Maybe there's a connection, but I'd the have banks, to have The banks are awful, but we still should... Well, the banks are awful. But we know we've discovered that now, but we still should have the banks running super. It's that superannuation is Australian super. You know, the amount of money that's in Australian super is like the largest, the second largest in the world. Yeah, it's huge for, compa- yeah. in compared to the size of our economy. Yeah, it's the biggest. Yeah, it's yeah. fascinating that it's like a compulsory. Every single mm-hmm. Australian has to compulsorily involve themselves in the stock market, basically, and with no knowledge themselves mm. of what actually happens That's right. That's right. Yeah. And once you're in the stock market, you're exploiting the workers that just... Yeah, it's it's crazy. Well, the idea yeah. is that we are required to be subject, exposed to the yeah. to the stock market, which mm. everybody knows is... is um, and, I mean, people... Is a, is a casino, yeah. 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 If you work sporadically or casually yeah. and you have money going there you could lose most of your money like mm-hmm. a big chunk of your pay goes into super not a big chunk but a significant amount and then you could lose a lot of that in fees 
if you don't work often enough for it to be an amount which mm. is enough to cover yep. the fees. Well, you've got to earn four fifty a month from the same employer for that employer to have to put money into super for you anyway. Oh, okay. Um, so mm. a lot of work. So there was, in fact, a piece recently. One of us, I think, the super funds themselves have argued that <clears> the law should be changed that if you earn anything, the, the employer should put money in because mm. um, they're getting around it with that four fifty. Mm. A lot of young, you know, young people often mm-hmm. don't earn four fifty mm-hmm. in a month, mm-hmm. so they're mm-hmm. not getting any money paid into super. Mm. And the point was made that they're going to miss out at the other end mm-hmm. when, you know, when they're older. And, uh, yeah, the you're just not accumulating yeah. <coughs> retirement yeah, yeah. funds. Well, it, you can still, you know, you can if you super specify what sort of um, um, funds you want, want, want your, yeah. uh, what sort of businesses, ass, what sort of assets yeah. you want your money to be exposed to, can't yep. you? Yeah, So you can go for a more... Um, yeah. Res- Conservative thing where you don't have so much money in um, in shares and you have more in um, well just in um, bank. Uh, what do you call them? Other investments. Other in, other yeah. sort of yeah. other sort interest of bearing interest sort of funds you, of yeah, some sort. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah you like can that. do that. You don't have to. Mm. But but I think the the go to one if if you don't specify, you end up in one mm-hmm. that's quite exposed to. Um, to mm-hmm. shares, mm-hmm. and that's of course good sometimes and very yeah. bad other times. And and, and I think ideologically wrong. I mean, that's yeah, my yeah, problem. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, we um, have all this we have all this money, but we don't still still don't seem to be able to accumulate money for for asset. You know, for asset um, developments, which we're, we're supposed to desperately need. You know, it's, yes, it seems. We, it, where does this money go? Where does well, we where can, is it used? Is it used to door? We can build a railway line from Adani to um, <laughs> to the to the port, and, uh, yeah. so we can do that sort of thing. Check out um, Four Corners, folks, on your, yeah. your ABC well, that, view. That's interesting because you know, as you know, I often get ridiculed for reading the Financial Review every day, but I read it because I think you are well ahead of the. You've got to keep up. You've got to keep up with the class enemy, um, and it's a good way. Of up with them because uh, that's where they really t- say what they think. But it was um, almost a year ago, and we mentioned mm. it on this program that it outlined that whole spaghetti thing, the way that they're mm-hmm. they're structured. But what and what didn't quite come out? It come out a little the, bit. The international group of yeah, um, the, the way that everything runs through tax dodges. Tax dodges. I mean, funds, uh, yeah. but the, what the Fin Review article about a year ago pointed out was they're not just cheating. Uh, the government, when they're, they're not paying taxes, mm. and they, the point was made that if Adani got got to go here, we wouldn't get any benefit from it in taxes because they're structured to make sure we don't pay it. They don't pay any. Mm. But also, the, the at the end of the line of a spaghetti, it seems to go straight into the pockets of the Adani family. So mm-hmm. even the shareholders in the company, not that I bleed for them, mm. um, are, are, are getting robbed as well. Mm-hmm. Um, yes, you'd have to be pretty mad to be a shareholder in an Adani um Adani Enterprise, yeah, yeah. Well, what I took away from the, the Four Corners on Monday night was the thing that the Adani already owns the Abbott Point um, coal shipping facility. Yeah. They already own that. Yeah, yeah. But they've got that um, topped up to the gills with um, with um, um, debit debit financing. You know, they've they've they, there's no there's no p- positive um, Positive funding that they no, own in that. No, it's all. No, it's it's a, anything. Anything that they could, they borrowed against it. So it's so it's it's billions of dollars in the negative, and it means that um, it, it it could collapse at any stage. And the only thing that can save it is to get the Adani coal mine going, so that there's a stream, a big stream of revenue mm. coming in to to finance the port. Mm. So yeah. it looks like 
Adani's doing a juggling act where where um, the mine is the next thing down the road to try and keep their previous asset that they've milked mm. um, alive. Because if it collapses, then 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 down they go. Down they mm. go. Yeah. So yeah. that's what. It, so that looks like the real the real game that they're trying to play. It happened to, with guns in Tasmania and the pulp mill, mm-hmm. which is a classic example of actually mm. they didn't get the pulp mill and sure. the company folded. So yeah. 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 Well, all the all the um, all the, all the respectable um, um, f- corridors of funding for, for Adani have said no. Mm-hmm. They won't finance the mm-hmm. line. Mm-hmm. I think we'd have to have a week of mourning if they went down the Gurgler, wouldn't we? I mean, <laughs> <laughs> it'd be dreadful. <laughs> it would be so dreadful. <laughs> People will be dancing on the streets. <laughs> I, 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 I loved seeing the, the Queensland Premier saying, I know nothing. I have read nothing. <laughs> All I know is that Mr. Adani is a lovely man. Mm. And he's oh, going to create... Was it, well, they're coming up with an incredible number of jobs. It's well, they're claiming 10,000 jobs. Right. <laughs> this, is going, this is going to... But it's not... It's not. <laughs> the only figure that's been ratified in the courts is, is 1,500 jobs. Yeah. Total. Yeah. yeah Once that's the right. That's up more realistic. Yeah, but isn't that ex- that's going to fix the whole economy. Apropos of our program last week, where we interviewed a woman, Laurie Werner, mm. about uh, she's leading a campaign inside the ALP to fight plans to privatise the land titles registry, the titles office. Right. Um, and following on from that, not not this, I don't know followed on this from our interview, this, but 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 um, but um, a, a bloke, um, Keith, Dr. Keith Bell, a former state surveyor general, came out this week attacking it as well. Um, and he says fees for basic real estate transactions could skyrocket if the government goes ahead with plans to lease the land titles registry. Um, he had a hell of a lot of concerns about a private sector player taking over. He said private operators that hit consumers with fee increases of more than 300% after similar deals overseas, etc. So I just followed up our interview last week, but again, he's come out now attacking it. Uh, and the government's now saying, of course, it's looking at you know the best interests of Victorians, etc. And they they reckon they'll get a you know maybe I think three billion or something for it, but um, but or three to four billion. But in fact, it brings in three hundred million a year anyway. So mm. it's one of those mm. situations where you may as well hang on to what you've got. Mm. Plus plus all the other negatives of a private company having all that information. Mm. Well, they'd rather get a hit of hit, sugar hit in one big go with the three billion rather than rather than have a steady stream of income over the. That's how I eat chocolate. Years. That's for sure. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. I yeah. I ration it out just <laughs> to eat the whole block. <laughs> you have to go. You have to go and cancel some pals. Ten, ten. Cut back on the sugar. <laughs> yeah. John's like that with a bottle of scotch, <laughs> or a block of chocolate, <laughs> and both at once. I tell you. <laughs> the, but still, now Robert Doyle's backed off. Uh, so called backed off his plan to um, really get stuck into the homeless in the city but but nonetheless he's ha- he ha- he's consulted with the police not the homeless not anyone else he's consulted with the police and they're throwing people off the street anyway so I'm not sure it's the best solution ever um, <laughs> but but then I, I was fascinated by the fact that arising from that the Herald Sun came up with an editorial uh, and there were two on the one day the top one 
uh, said Premier Daniel Andrews could another one of the attacks on pejorative Dan, you see, could do well to spend a few cold nights under the blanket on a suburban couch. Maybe a struggling pensioner could put him up for a while so he could experience firsthand the results of some of Spring Street's energy policies. Power bills shock, etc., because they want everything opened up, more coal and more gas, etc. So they're worried about people being cold at night on a couch under mm-hmm. a blanket. But below it, Doyle's homeless bet. Now, these people are, um, haven't even got a couch right. uh, on a street, and they get stuck into Doyle for, for going back on his promise and said that uh, he campaigned for his current term on the basis of solving the homeless problem in the CBD as a number one priority. If we end up with another Australian open debacle, Melburnians will demand decisive action. Now, um, they're, they're, obviously their interpretation of solving the homeless problem is making sure they don't sleep anywhere. Well, at least you don't see them sleeping. Yeah, yeah. That's really that's the right. issue. Isn't yeah, it? yeah, yeah. So when the police throw them off the street, where do they actually go? Well, that's a good question. Right. Silence is deafening. Right, yeah. right. But but there is good news for them. I was just thinking, isn't it great that the police are the new welfare organisation? Yes, 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 yes. They have been for a while. Really reassuring. Yeah. And in fact, last night I saw a bit on telly, as we mentioned with April, when she was in the Nottle, the Salvation Army bloke, and I'm sure he's, he's sincere and all that sort of stuff. But, you know, <laughs> he's walking to Canberra and he had to swim the river or whatever last night on telly. I saw the news. Um, Swam the Murray, did he? Oh, yeah, because he wouldn't, couldn't get across a bridge or something. Anyway. Um, There's not many bridges, <laughs> no, to be whatever, fair. Whatever. Yeah. He, uh, <laughs> one anyway, more, one more he's, bridge to cross. he's walking there and he wants to meet the government when he gets there and talk about the problems of the homeless. Now, this was the mob, and Nottle was involved, when people were occupying Bendigo Street, the homeless, who said, we want to get them out so we can help the needy. Um, so what about those homeless? He wanted to throw on the street. Well, they were cafe latte, uh, cafe right, latte right, nitty. Right. Mm. Yes. Okay. 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 But uh, that's anyway, different. there is good news because the headline here um, in a paper, and again the Fin Review a couple of weeks ago in the property section. <clears> but the headline: Housing affordability on the improved. So we could walk up Elizabeth oh, Street, that's go up Elizabeth Street to all those homeless people and, and say, the hand "Good the news! Good news! <laughs> yes, yes. You'll yeah, be able to afford one any day now." Has it improved by half a percent? Has it? <laughs> I'm not sure, but I, I don't probably think be very much reaching to. The, although I suppose seriously, if we found out. We thanks, are serious. We're always serious. That's right. Well, but thanks to. Thanks to the the perspicacity of our Minister for Immigration, our Minister for Concentration Camps, Razor Wire and Sink the Boats, the old Peter Duffer. Um, oh, Pete, and Damani Suits. Pete has pointed out to us that <laughs> per capita... He can recognise Damani Suits. That's right. right. <laughs> per capita, the most affluent place in the whole world is Manus Island. Yeah, per yeah. capita, they're all... That's right, all in Armani Suits. They're bulging with Armani and yeah, jewellery and... Yeah, yeah. <sighs> he didn't really say that, did he? He did. Yeah, he did. No. God. He said he said the biggest collection of Amani is at Manus Island. He, he claimed yeah. that all these people are, uh, yeah. are, are, are economic, economic, economic refugees. Economic, economic migrants. Oh. Yes. yes. God. So, <laughs> so one of the guys who did get to the States last week, hooray, 
Oh. It, was real, it was certainly a relief to see a small number get there. Oh. He was interviewed. <laughs> Can we see your um, your fabulous collection of clothes you were shaking out of your backpack? Oh, you know? my <laughs> God. Of course, it was a, you know, a few pairs of shorts and some T-shirts. It oh, was an interview yeah. with yeah. Ray Hadley, one of those shock jocks in Sydney, and Hadley said the images of the refugees going on the, toward the boat or the plane mm. or whatever looked mm. like a fashion show on a catwalk somewhere in Paris or New York. And then Dutton said the photos showed life on Manus Island was not the terrible existence that refugees advocates claim, suggesting instead they could afford luxury Armani products. There are a lot of people who haven't come out of war-ravaged areas. They're economic refugees. They got on a boat, paid a people, smuggled a lot of money. Somebody once said to me that the world's biggest collection of Armani jeans and handbags was up on Nauru waiting for people to collect them when they depart. Mm. Well, there you go, folks. And sadly... And there's a picture of him just to show uh, our listeners can't see it, but that yeah. you look at that and you think Dutton bids to broaden. He's gone to the US to talk to them about things like, imagine that turning up and they think, what's Australia like? Well, he's got prime ministerial aspirations. Yeah, look yeah. at that head. I mean, the transcript of the conversation between Turnbull and Trump. Yeah, and Trump says to him, "Why don't Turnbull saying, oh, they're all, they're all good, they're all fine, they're all nice people,' and he's like, "Why don't you?" let them in <laughs> if they're so great why don't you let them in he's like oh look I just can't he's like oh you're worse than me I was like oh my god <laughs> he's like oh that's a good idea <laughs> far out give me Trump ideas <laughs> yeah. 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 Oh, he's yeah. got, isn't he going well at the moment too actually oh god he's gone to Puerto Rico and, uh, and well, I just well, I think we should make the point uh, just because there's been a lot of attack on it that um, that repeat that guns don't kill people it's people who oh. kill people I mean, if he didn't, if he didn't have that gun, which is the what, yeah, the the bloody right left wing people who want to get rid of guns say, if he didn't have that gun under his constitutional rights, then he would have walked downstairs and strangled all those people. I reckon, wouldn't he? I mean, <laughs> terrible. Somebody um, posted. Somebody had a response to it who was like, previously, this is someone I don't know, but previously was pro. Mm. Um, gun ownership and and you know that right to bear arms and everything and he said actually in that he was there in the stadium and he said I couldn't have done anything because if I pulled out my gun which I had with me I would have um, been mm. considered by police and security personnel to be a threat Quite right, and right. I would have threatened risked my own life much more so mm. I couldn't like having a gun mm. didn't provide me with any mm. you know mm. possibility to make any of a difference so he's actually like changed his opinion on it yeah. I think maybe it will be the thing that does change it and you know, you do think about like I don't know what this. You know, the situation politically in America is is amazing. But well, Radio National Breakfast this morning interviewed a, an academic who's also in the National Rifle Association <laughs> or whatever it's called, um, and he was he well, he's not changing a bit. Yeah, yeah. No, he's as strong as ever. And there was I heard another interview of a of a senator from the Nevada Upper House, you know, uh, Nevada Congress or whatever they call it. And um, oh no, nothing, nothing had changed for him. He, you know, mm. he was asked quite hard questions by a BBC interviewer. You know, mm. what are you, you know, what, 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 what do you need those sort of guns for? Mm-hmm. It's her, her basic mm-hmm. question. Mm-hmm. What, what on earth, you know, does anybody normal person need those sort of guns for? Oh well, you know, some people like to shoot things with those sort of guns. You know, you can shoot a lot of those critters with, you know, hurry with those sort of guns. You know, that was a sort of. That was the sort of reply. And, you know, he's got a constitutional right, to, you know, to do that sort of thing. You know, oh yeah. Well, so we just meander on. That's why I don't think it'll change anything. Mm. Uh, 
Well, in fact, um, uh, uh, what, uh, Obama did bring in some some control that mm. people who had psychiatric illnesses shouldn't uh, be allowed mm. to have guns, which um, which Trump has since got rid of. He mm. waived that, mm. and he they they put it aside since since the weekend. But yes, they, yes. he was also he was also at behest of the of gun lobby bringing in rules to allow them to use silences. Yes. So you'd have a thing like like the weekend where people would be dropping, but no one would hear a thing or know what's going on. Mm. Mm. You know, it's just but, but, but it, it looks like they just want to keep on getting, you know moving into more and more extreme mm. situations. Well, I wanted to know why the guys with the guns down in the crowd didn't start shooting back at this guy up in the hotel. Well, they didn't know where it was coming from, of course, for a long time. No one knew no one <laughs> knew where it was coming from. But you know that's what go- that's what you're supposed to have a yeah, gun for. Yeah, that's what you're gun for. That's well, right. That's exactly yeah. the point. Yeah, yeah, this is what someone yeah. said. Yeah. Yeah. Is good guy with can't. guns. Yeah. Yeah, of course you can't. Yeah. No. You can't. no, there are very few situations. No. It doesn't and, help. Yeah, and if there if people if if the people who study this stuff are asked, does the ordinary man or woman in the street ever manage to get their gun out and fire back? Mm. But once mm. in a blue moon, you know, because <laughs> <That's laughs> they're not they're not geared up to it. Mm. Amongst other things, and yeah. they they say teachers in classrooms should have yeah. the gun because you know etc. Yeah. Et right. all that yeah. stuff. Yeah. Yeah. And just before we go to transport, uh, you were pleased to know that Kate Carnell, um, who is you know, always speaking for some business groups, is currently the small business ombudsman. Mm-hmm. Um, Kate's got this great idea because the banks, unless you've got property or something, um, small business have real difficulty getting bank loans at reasonable rates. And so Kate's got a grand solution that the government, we have taxpayer-backed bank to support lending to small businesses. So isn't that a good oh. idea? Yeah, so we, we take the risk of it. <laughs> so all our free enterprise banks Again, who are supposed to believe in the free enterprise system, yeah, that's right, they're that's not prepared right. to, no, no. To, to, to loan to their small enterprise uh, cousins. Yeah. These are the same people who applauded when the Commonwealth Bank was privatised. Oh, of course, yeah. Mm. yeah. It could have been doing that, I suppose, couldn't it? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, well, there you are. We'll take a break, come back and talk transport with you. Yeah, the good old Commonwealth Bank. Yeah. <laughs> You're oh, listening to 3CR Radio. Okay, John, we talked about Transdev earlier. Um, it's um, ordered to take a dozen buses off the road. This is a couple of weeks mm. ago. Um, a blitz by mm. trans safety inspectors on two depots found 33 defective buses with 12 in such poor condition they were ordered off the road for urgent repairs. It operates one-third of Melbourne's network under a $1.7 billion contract with the state government and has been forced to hire vehicles from other companies, etc., Defects included engine and transmission faults, fluid and air leaks, loose-fitting panels and suspension faults. Um, Public Transport Victoria is reviewing the the maintenance failure, so we understand the root cause. I thought the root cause probably was greed, John. And lack of of a proper maintenance plan, yeah. Yeah, that's probably around about there. Um, And it says here, Transdev's seven-year contract is unique. It is performance-based with bonuses and penalties similar to trains and trams. Um, but it goes on to say, um, it revealed, trans, mm. trans the Deb had never met its contractual monthly punctuality target of 85% and has overseen an annual decline in those using buses of tens of thousands on key routes. Under the terms of its contract, the company is meant to grow bus passenger numbers on its routes. Uh, it said it was working to get the defective buses back and had repaired four buses, but that point about drop, you know, supposed mm. to be under the contract increasing, but in fact it's decreasing, mm. it's pretty serious, obviously. 
Well, you would have thought so, because Transdev was brought in as the bright new shining star that was going to show the other bus companies in Melbourne how to do it. It's a French company, isn't it? <laughs> hmm. Yeah. They've got, I think they've got big contracts in Sydney too, but they were brought in because, oh yes, these guys will really make our local guys, you know, stand up and uh, take notice. Mm. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it doesn't sound like it. It sounds like they've been adapted adapted to local ways all too easily. <laughs> it says it covers a third. Is that which which third? It's most. <laughs> it's a big. It's a big wedge that covers um, Doncaster and uh. Box. South to Box Hill and yeah, and round to the north, north, uh, round to the north. So the, yeah, but mm. in the north, not coming down into the. It comes down into the city. Oh, yeah, right. they all, yeah, most, okay. most, not all the routes, yeah. but most of them do feed to the city <coughs> okay. by a lot of them by the Eastern Freeway, uh, or they come down by um, mm. by Q Junction and places okay. like that. See, Meg's thinking about whether she should ask for a check on her bus before she gets on to see if it's safe. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I was, I was on a Transdev bus a few a few weeks ago on the late night bus uh, coming back from the city, and uh, my God, the, the the thing rattled and shook and rolled. Um, mm. you know, it did sound as if the panels were about to fall off, and nobody else on the bus seemed at all concerned. They're obviously mm, obviously quite it. used to it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you just get them used to it, and that's it. Mm. Yeah, yep. yeah. Yep. Now at the same time. Um, the Transdev have put this proposal to the government for this high-speed rapid bus transit system along the Doncaster, mm. the old railway line. Now, it makes the point in this article that it was reserved for 50 years for a future Doncaster rail link, and I've made the point several times that it was supposed to be a rail line and they went and put a freeway down there um, instead. Yeah, well, it was meant and to have you, a, freeway, a railway line down yeah, the middle of the freeway. And yeah, if you had yeah. built the uh, railway line at the same time, then you mm. would have changed the transport patterns from that corridor enormously. Indeed. And probably avoided and obviated the need for the continual extensions of the freeway right out to mm-hmm. where we all yes, that all stuff. That. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, it's it's the one sector in Melbourne that doesn't have any sort of decent public uh, rail rail corridor, rail rail line. N- nearly everywhere else there is a, there are rail lines, even if the services aren't wonderful, they are at least in existence. Um, and that's one reason why the why the bus network out that way is uh, so necessary because mm. it's um, mm. it's all they've got really mm-hmm. are the buses. Mm. Um, People can't move around without public transport. Obviously, like there's a huge, like it affects certain people yeah, disproportionately does, to yeah, others. Like yeah, people yeah, who yeah. can't and afford it. Interesting cars. though, there's the arguments made by the um, <clears throat> uh, powers that be. Oh well, everybody out there is used to doing everything by car. Therefore, we don't have to bother about mm. giving them decent public transport, which mm. is always interesting. So yes, short-sighted. yes, yes. Hello. Mm. Yeah. It's just a little sort of. Little cockroach. Cockroach or something, yes, <laughs> turned up here. Um, yeah, so it, and it, it, the, the plan would have, um, could handle roughly eight times as many passengers in the peak and cut travel times by about 17 minutes if it had gone ahead. But the, um, the government knocked it back, but a spokesman for Treasurer Palace declined to explain why it did not proceed, saying it was not appropriate to comment. I would have thought, <laughs> I would have thought a comment would have helped. Yeah. Well, you know, as we know, governments get more and more opaque. <laughs> Everything's done, cabinet in confidence and all that sort of thing. Well, you made the point, I think, on our last program that they used to attack the previous government mm, for not giving mm. us the financial details, the real financial mm-hmm, details mm-hmm. of the East-West link. Yep. And now on the tunnel, the other side, the, the Westgate, Westgate one, tunnel thingy. they're uh, doing yeah. exactly the same thing. They're That's right. not making people know. That's right. 
And, of course, none of us know really what, what's the profitability of um, the toll companies and, and that sort of thing and how, how, how much they benefit when their uh, contracts are extended, you know, allowed another five years or ten years of toll mm. on, the, on the freeways as a way of um, paying them off. Because, the go- again, the government doesn't care because it won't be their government that has to um, mm. worry about it when it happens in 20 years' time. So how long do the toll roads remain toll roads? Well... But they, it keeps getting extended oh, mid- indefinitely. Mid- <laughs> mm, it probably will be indefinite. Well, yeah. uh, the original contract, I think it was supposed to expire in 2025. It came back into public hands. Oh. It might have been 2030. But mm. if the current agreement goes ahead for the Westgate tunnel situation, it goes out to about 2054. Oh. But it's an extra 10 years of tolling, so they make a fortune out of it. Yeah. Even Jeff Kennett, who was the Premier and who drew the bloody contract up, has been complaining recently about all the changes to the contract and the way mm. it's helping the company, even mm. though he drew up a contract that helped them in the first place. Mm. But, uh, yeah, mm. it's, it's, it's extraordinary. And so it doesn't really matter to the present government mm-hmm. how, how much the commuters that far in the distance mm-hmm. will complain about the tolls they're being mm-hmm. paid, you see. Yeah. So it's all so far off the distance, it just doesn't matter. Yeah. Um, and, that's, that's, and that's the situation we're left with, mm. that, that we're giving this... Um, you know, giving this company nearly free a free ride on the um, transport mm. system of Melbourne. Mm. Yep, and uh, at the same time, we have signed up the new contract with the with the with the train and tram companies, Metro and Yarra Trams. Yeah, uh, they, the government claims they're much stronger this time, and all that sort of stuff. Johnny, we had a look and they're a little they're a little tiny bit beefed up. You know, there are a little few more requirements. It'll be harder for them to skip stops. And um, other 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 ways of um, of finagling the, um, the the timings of the trains. Uh, the, the, there's the the the, t- the time are no the times that, that allow the trains to be on time. Oh. <laughs> That's really well put, John. <laughs> yeah, it was. Was yeah. <laughs> I'm, trying to, I'm trying to say that the um, what time is it? <laughs> the slack allowed the slack allowed in the timetable. So that the trains are still on time it is still, I think, five minutes. So you have a five-minute leeway. Yeah, that, that was interesting. They've cut back. They've they've got to reach a higher percentage of, yes. of punctuality. Yes, but they haven't changed the no, five-minute. No, the minute level thing. of punctuality <laughs> is is the same. Yeah. So so they they, they make these little <laughs> tiny incremental nibbles at the at the um, you know the the slackness of the deal that they give to the um, the, um, the the contractors, but. You know, nothing, nothing too dramatic. That's not. We won't make, make life too hard mm, for them. No. So never, if, never do that. So if they say, "Oh, we were ninety-five percent of our trains are on time," mm. that means ninety-five percent of them came within five minutes mm-hmm. of when they were supposed Correct. to go. Correct. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. that's yeah. right. And they'd be very, very happy with that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's 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 trams. That's, that's it. Trams. <laughs> trams have got the same sort of situation that, that they they get mm. cut cut quite a lot of slack as well. Mm. Um, but you know, I, I guess I guess in in, in the um, um, negotiations over the contracts, probably the the companies are saying, "But you give us you know terrible infrastructure to work on. You know, yeah. you can't expect us to do better than this." Yeah. And that, you know, especially the tram company, I'm sure they say, "But look, mm. our trams spend so much time stopped at traffic yeah. lights that you don't can't be bothered to fix so that the trams get priority." Yeah. And apparently, they spend something. The, the trams spend something like seventeen percent. 
of their runtime is spent sitting just traffic stopped lights. at traffic lights. Yep. Mm. You know, and that's just that's just crazy. Yeah. And, and going back to that trans dev story, they said they they've never met their their punctuality, but yeah. in fact buses are probably worse in many ways, aren't they? Unless they've got a specific bus lane. Yeah. Mm. Uh, they're, really well, they're going to get really caught up in traffic. Well, it depends where of course where they're running. Yeah. yeah. That that's definitely the case in the inner city. Uh, but but further out, it should be you know it should be better where the where the roads aren't quite so crowded. But but mm. I guess in Pico, the roads all over Melbourne are crowded. Yeah, so yeah. yeah so just... uh, and there are there are some intersections where the buses have their own stand up lane mm. that brings them forward to the to mm-hmm. the traffic lights. But again, that sort of stuff doesn't get done on a system wide basis. It just seems to get done mm. when somebody mm. thinks about it. You know, it's mm. not there. Um, and just moving on to what is, in some ways, a mm. good public transport story, John. Really? Uh, yes. Unfo- well, yes, not unfortunately. It's good to have one. But um, the Frankston line, now, we, yeah. you, we we keep saying that the key to really getting people onto public transport is frequency Indeed. and the thing running mm. regularly. Yes. It now runs a 10-minute service, which mm-hmm. isn't bad, actually. No, it but, isn't bad. Um, all the time. And I had to go there... Some Sundays I go down there to a friend's place for lunch to Bentley, but I had to go to Morty Alex Sunday morning. Right. Um, and I got the train down. I got it back again with Richmond supporters everywhere around certain parts. Mm-hmm. And um, mm-hmm. But um, but the 10-minute service, people use the bloody thing. It, mm-hmm. it, you know, it, it is, it's noticeable that the increase in patronage at those times on that line, simply because you know you can go mm-hmm. to the station mm-hmm. and not have to mm-hmm. wait long. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And it was, it was and punctuality, because I was checking... And so, obviously, you should pass a train going the other way every five minutes. Mm, um, mm. And it was almost spot on every mm-hmm, time. Mm-hmm. At five minutes, you'd pass the other train. Mm. You're turning into a train spot. <laughs> I am, yeah, that's right. But it was just uh, interesting to, to think. Yeah, that no, a, well, you, you know, you, you, you're spot on. I mean, it's the sort of thing that um, that um, switched on public transport advocates have been telling telling state governments for the last 40 years that if you run reasonable frequencies all the time, People will use the trains well all the time, mm. um, but it seems as if there's always the um, the um, the penny penny pruners, you know, the people who don't want to spend that little bit extra to run decent frequencies, say mm. um, in the evening or at the weekends. But it seems like on some lines, it's now it's now been improved to mm. a decent decent extent. I think I think yeah. the um, the Ringwood line gets ten minutes. The um, the line to Dandenong that definitely gets ten minutes. The Frankston line does. Um, hmm. I think they're the main ones. Yeah, yeah. it's interesting how we it's, still get our twenty. Yeah, mm. it's it, it's interesting how it tends to be those those lines seem to always get looked after better than the lines to the north or the west. Um, it's it, it, the logic is interesting to me. In in Hobart, there's been like a push for a while to have a light rail mm. um, up the the northern corridor, yep. um, which seems to make a lot of sense. But one of the arguments against and why part of the reason it hasn't been done is because it would be obviously a big investment. And then they say, oh well, the um, we've surveyed people and we don't think they'll use it. And I'm like, well, of course people are not going to use it now because it's not there. <laughs> you know, like mm. 
if it's there and mm. people become accustomed to it and it and it see they see how you know useful it is people will use it mm. you know but mm. there's often a thing is like oh the, the population isn't there in Hobart at least they say there's not enough people or there's not enough people in that area who are going to use it because we've checked and everyone's driving I was like yeah because I don't have any other options <laughs> <laughs> the, thing, the things on rails yeah. tend to attract more passengers just just by being on rails for some reason it's convenient yeah yeah and, um, um, I mean there's going to be a really interesting example to look at is in Canberra because they're in the process of building a light rail line mm-hmm. up to Gungarland from the city. It's a good idea. And that's been against – there's been a huge amount of opposition to that. Yeah. But the Greens the Greens are stuck with it. Yeah, and, and in Hobart as well. Yeah, yeah. and mm. it's oh, – really, a Green yeah. government there. Green, so council, yeah, councillors. Uh, oh, okay. uh, yeah, and yeah, Green So it's going to be really interesting. So it's actually happening in Canberra, which is about, what, three to 400,000 people? Yeah, and yeah. So I mean, it's, you know, it's not, not a huge city. That would be an interesting kind mm. of see how it yeah. goes and what yeah. how it's used. Mm. Yeah. yeah, and it's and it's the trade off. Oh, you know, an awful lot of money goes into the capital mm. expenditure mm. of something on rails, mm-hmm. and people say, "Ah, oh, but you could have provided a lot more good mm. bus services for that same money." Mm. But um, but there does come a point though, and it seems like it's worth. At least starting to put your main corridors on rails, mm-hmm. um, and it's certainly in Europe, mm-hmm. a city of three hundred thousand people is very likely to have a tram system. Mm-hmm. Yep. And tram systems that, that were torn out after World War Two, mm-hmm. like in and Hobart, been, and they've yeah. been put back there. They've been put back in Europe, European mm-hmm. cities, in the last twenty years. You yeah, know? yeah. Um, and, and it's happened. You know, it's happened to a degree even in Sydney. They've mm-hmm. got, they've, they're now putting some some of their trams back. They used to have a bigger system than Melbourne. Yeah, wow. Mm. Interesting. Huge tram system. Mm. Um, people do seem to like to be to be on rails. It's predictable in some ways. Yeah. I think that you know that's it has an appeal. It. Yeah, it has yeah. an appeal. Yeah. And 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 if you persevere, people will increasingly use it. You know, the mm. argument mm. you're raising about Hobart, not enough people, but they're already got, they're on the car, so that's all they've got mm. to do. Yes. And you're about Doncaster, the same mm. thing. There's no mm. alternative anyway. Yeah. But if you give the people the alternative, and take a while because they are used to driving cars, but, yeah. but it will build up. Yeah. Well, there are plenty of um, Europe, uh, not even North American cities um, that have now got pretty decent light rail systems mm-hmm. alongside, you know, huge freeway networks mm-hmm. because they, they decided in the end that, that they couldn't cater for all the travel on, on the freeways, mm-hmm. you know. Yeah. Uh, um, I could, you know, rattle off quite a few. There are a lot of American cities and, and, mm-hmm. and really successful ones in Canada. Mm-hmm. Canada as well. Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, as, I mean, they're, not, they're networks that aren't as extensive as our, our tram system. Yeah. But our tram system has the... The, dif- the difficulty that so much of it is on road, mm. um, battling the cars the whole way, mm-hmm. uh, and that means that makes it very very slow, mm-hmm. um, and so we don't yep. get maximum benefit out of it. Mm. But again, um, even with um, intersection priority, governments don't seem brave enough to uh, give the trams really good priority, mm. which mm. which they could. They could do a lot better on that. Mm. It's almost shades of that story I've told a few times about the American tourists flying out of the German city, that famous story. True story. True story. Um, Flying over and there's an autobahn and there's there's an old historic cathedral right next to it. And the American tourist said, why would you build a cathedral next to a freeway? (laughs) (laughs) I mean, they're not smart American tourists, are they? Um, The... um, (laughs) 
She gets good well, My friends are American tourists. <laughs> I, told you, like, I don't know. They call them tourists. Meg's but, um, going to America next week. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Be nice. Portland. Portland's different. Portland, Oregon. They're almost Canadians up there. <laughs> They're Cascadians. Ah, yeah. nice. I like that. Yeah. Meg is going to come back and report to us about the housing situation, the various yeah. proposals. Oh, okay. Yes, okay. Yes, yes, There's yes, a houseless person's yeah. council over there, so and a friend of mine's working with oh, them. Right. So, yeah, okay. be interested to see what's happening. Yeah, mm. it'd be great. Mm. Um, John, they just recently launched the, the next um, fastest train in China. Yep. Um, train, and it goes from Beijing to, to Shanghai mm. and mm. back again, I assume. Um, yeah, it's double track. <laughs> and, yeah, <laughs> and it gets up to... Um, Gets up to three fifty, yep. and a bloke went on the trip, and it got above that. It got to three fifty three or something, and everyone right. cheered. Thought this is on the initial voyage, but right. he makes a few interesting points. Yes, while the run between Beijing and Shanghai will never be regarded as one of the world's great train journeys, its sheer efficiency is hard to beat. At four hours twenty four minutes, and costing just one oh five for a second class seat, the Fox. The Fuxing, should be renamed the airline killer. Not only is it 60% cheaper than a regular economy class plane ticket, but it takes a similar amount of time and, mm. you know, centre to centre, etc. It then goes on to make the point um, at the same time, it has allowed factories surrounding the, the supposed harbouring of economic distance in China's key regions to essentially turn what might have previously been a two-day supplier visit into a comfortable one-day trip and all these advantages of these things. It has also allowed factories surrounding the three key regions to move further out, making the government's push for regional development far easier as the travel times remain reasonable. The result is a series of satellite cities where wages and property prices are cheaper but which are often less than an hour by fast rail from the region regional capital, etc., etc., and he says, as in Australia, this would put Gold and Wollongong and Canberra within an easy commute of Sydney and Bendigo, Ballarat, and even Albury to Melbourne, for etc., and we should do the same thing. That's what he's saying. Yeah, mm. yeah. Well, there you go. Mm. Yeah, <laughs> mm. <laughs> that's, that's, how do they go so fast? That's crazy. Well, because they've built completely new tracks on very, very good alliance, straight alignments, you know. They've, and they don't have ordinary trains on the tracks as well. So they've, like, they're inventing like different types of trains it's and different types much, of yeah, rail. Well, another In Japanese sense. call them bullet trains. And it's yeah, sort of, sort okay, of so it's like, like that. Yeah. 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 China has but, more than 22,000 kilometres of high-speed rail mm. track, almost two-thirds of the world's total. That's right. Wow. And it's all been built in the last 20 years. Mm. Or maybe fifteen. Yeah, it's extraordinary. Okay. Yeah. Australia's got what? Not not one kilometre. No, no, no. <laughs> 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 right. But it's yeah, it is interesting. It, it's um, uh, here the here the uh, the arguments get rather. I think get rather silly. Those people say, oh well, if you build a high speed line between Sydney and Melbourne, the trains won't be able to stop because they'll ha- they'll have to go non stop so they'll be fast enough to compete with the planes. Mm. Yes, but you can have non-stop trains, and you can and have, you can have other trains that yeah. stop. Yeah, <laughs> mm. the what? Japanese managed to do it on their bullet train lines. They have three levels of trains: so yeah. the non-stop all the way from Tokyo to Osaka, the next level down stops at a few main stations, mm-hmm. and then a level below that stops at everything. everything. Yeah. And the trains that stop everywhere, they get off the, out of the way of the other trains. Yes, and, yeah. and they go. Whew, Straight yeah. past, yeah. and then they go off again. 
So it can be done, but the, but 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 people say, oh, no, it can't be possibly happen. If they're not all non-stop. Seem to think they've you know they've proved the argument. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but for like every country in the world that has trains mm-hmm. disproves that argument. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> and there, are, I mean, there are all sorts of other systems. You've got the German system, which has been a combination of upgrading current main lines and building some bits of new high-speed lines. Uh-huh, yeah. And they've gradually... Because they say so somewhere like Germany is more complex because you've got city, big cities scattered all over. Mm-hmm. And so you've got lots of routes to, to link the, all those cities together. Mm-hmm. But, but Australia, you know, we've really got the East Coast and mm-hmm. that's it. Yeah. Um, so it really, it really could be one straight line from... Bris- Melbourne, Brisbane, Sydney, Sydney, Brisbane. Brisbane, yeah. yeah. Would be l- the logical place to do it. Maybe go a bit north of Brisbane. Yep. and maybe maybe connect to Geelong into it as well, and yep. and possibly as you as mm. you know as the story was saying, um, you know places like Ballarat as well and Bendigo, but you don't need mm. to go quite as fast as three hundred kilometres an hour to make a make an impact. I mm-hmm. mean the trains that run to Bendigo these days do up to a hundred miles an hour or one hundred and sixty kilometres an hour. Um, so mm. they, if they ran a bit bit faster, they could probably bring that time. You'd do it in about 20 minutes of that speed. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, yeah. How, how long would it actually take? Like Melbourne to Sydney would be like... Uh, well... It's 12 hours now it's on 12 the train. It's 12 hours now, 11 hours. If you like. Yeah. yeah. I've taken that train time. a couple of times. <laughs> <laughs> um, it'd be three hours. Three hours. Mm. I, would t- I would definitely do yeah, that. Yeah, I would too. Yeah. yeah. I'd far rather sit sit comfortably on a train for three hours and go through the hell of yeah, the airports. Yeah, it's and such and a pain to get to. For business airport. people, city centre, I mean, in particular, yeah. but city centre to city centre, yeah. it's, it's much it. faster than the airport because yeah. you've yes. got to you know, get in there, you've got to yeah. be there an hour before yeah. most of the time, yeah. you've got yeah. to get there and back. That's right. So yeah. it's much faster. Yeah, yeah. And, che- and hopefully cheaper. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And you can, you know, you, you can actually on the on the train, you've got you've got a table in front of you. You can put your laptop on it and, yeah. and actually work if you're silly enough, you know. Mm. Yeah. Or put your bottle of wine if you're <laughs> <laughs> more likely. <laughs> and also think of all the jobs. Think of all the jobs that would be made by making rails, <laughs> rail lines. <laughs> if I was a Dani, I'd say millions of jobs could mm. be, yes. yeah. Well, even India's just signed up with the, the Japanese to uh, start building high-speed lines. Mm. Wow. But the government can't afford to build those rail lines because they put that money into the Adani one. So it's oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> so a bit of bad luck there. Oh, well. John, we're running out of time, but last yeah. week the story came out well, also. We're doing quite that well, a, Kurt. That we've Australia. Four minutes. That's right. Of, of developed nations, only Australia and Turkey are breaking emission records for energy combustion. I reckon we should be able to knock Turkey off, for God's sake. <laughs> go to the top ourselves. But anyway, oh, we're second. Yeah, Come on, no, Nazi. Equal first, equal oh, okay. first. But I reckon we, you know, we've got to get up there. Um, but um, well, of course, they're blaming it on diesel, which we've pointed out many times is the most dangerous emissions, mm. etc. But it's pretty serious again. Well, it, well, it comes from having absolutely pathetic um, um, emission standards for our cars, if any at all. And and we don't have any um, um, consumption standards either. For, you know, all well, nearly all uh, first world countries are you know are gradually tightening their emissions standards and their um, consumption standards for fuel on the car on the car fleet um, as a way of getting more efficiency and less pollution. But we've just we've just dropped the ball. I don't know a long time ago. Yeah. Um, and, and last year when they made some sort of attempt, there was such a furor from the industry. 
Well, that they, we they backed off. We don't have an industry no, any well, longer. Well, <laughs> but the pollution industry that uh, makes the cars, I said to Toyota yeah. closed yeah. yesterday and Holden closes in a few weeks. So. Mm. But all the other industries that benefit from putting cars on the road, yeah, well, the oil industry... In a way, though, they shouldn't care, well, you know, um, it seems to me. Well, the refiners claimed they would need more time uh, to uh, change the uh, structures mm. of the refinery, etc., well, to bring well, out like our less coal, polluting petrol and fuels. Like our um, coal... Gen- Coal-run um, power generation fleet of com- you know electricity generating companies, our um, fleet of um, um, petrol refining uh, refineries is getting very old and chronic too. Mm-hmm. Mm. <clears throat> We've let it let that go as well. Uh, so they probably they can't produce modern standards of fuel. No. So apart from the Mordialic line or Frankston yeah. line, it's been a pretty cheery little program this week. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's, it's just it just is extraordinary. We're, uh, we just seem to have dropped the ball on so many of these things, um, even though the world keeps grinding along. Mm. Mm. Well, it, the world around us does much better things than we're doing this mm. in, in many cases. In fact, many years ago, um, it was argued that India had far stronger emission standards than Australia for, for motor vehicles. Mm. Mm. Well, they, they, well, they have huge smog problems, much worse than mm. ours. Mm. And for somewhat, that reason, somewhat larger population. Yeah. Mm. And for that reason, they're walking away from coal-fired power stations as fast as they can go, mm. even though Adani still thinks it can somehow sell its, sell its expensive coal from from Queensland into into well, India. Well, that's going to that's going to raise the poor of India out of poverty. John. Apparently, yes. yes, yeah. yes. Which there's not much sun in India. Is no, there? no, no, no. You can't no. just put solar panels on the roof. So no, no. That'd be that'd be no. too easy. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, wouldn't raise as much profit. No. <laughs> No, so that's very good. Um, bloke in the Age um, wrote a piece about the fact that he was rung up for a survey by public transport, and he um, answered, "You know, it was zero for zero to ten. You rated them, mm. and when he finally got round to authorised offices, he said, were they courteous? Zero, helpful? Zero. Did I have anything else to add? Zero, zero, <laughs> zero. I'm sure it's not just me. I'll bet PTV and the service providers will find an awful lot of zeros in this section of their survey." And then he goes on to make the point that maybe if they were single people with and, and, and actually called conductors and sold you a ticket, yep. people might have a much different if they response. Could, if, they could be, if they could be useful, helpful. Uh, and not, not become in group of six, gangs of six, as he calls them. Yeah, yeah. Well, he's totally right, of course. Um, but it doesn't seem... That nothing seem, Again, nothing seems to change there. Yep. Just no. like Mikey, nothing seems to get fixed in Mikey. It just seems to grind on. Yes, that's right. It's irritations in place. All right, well, that's it. We're out of thing, out of time. Um, right. Next week is Energy Day, and we're going to talk to people about energy. Good. Don't know which people. Don't know what energy, but we'll do it. I've got a couple <laughs> of ideas, actually. But I, I'm kind of what they were. I've you know, got them blank. <laughs> Um, you'll be here next week, Meg? I won't be, I'm sorry. You're away for, you're yes. there, you? you'll, yeah. you'll be back in a month or so. Yep, maybe. back in November. Right. Mm-hmm. Is Mark is Mark travelling? Yeah, he's he's back later this month, I think, oh, on okay. November as well. So mm-hmm. we'll probably get both, we'll get reports from England and America. Mm-hmm. Oh, Joe's about to burst in. International correspondence. Yeah. 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 Andy, thanks for doing a wonderful job. Always a pleasure. Okay. Thanks, John. Thank you. Thanks, Meg. Thanks. Good to be here. Okay.